Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Rocky from 1976. In a follow-up podcast, we'll be talking about the whole series of Rocky films. Yes, we have watched them all. Yeah, I've done four and a half of them in one day, which is quite a trial. I've limited myself to one a day because, you know, I did want the space to think about them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, I started late, so I had to catch up. Um, But today, just Rocky. So why are we talking about Rocky? It's an ongoing interest of mine. I remember having this conversation, you know, with kind of an early boyfriend, you know, when we were talking about people we like to see. (laughs) And, you know, whether you fall, you know, that there were particular stars that you liked or something. And, you know, I remember saying, oh, you know, when I was like 14 or 15, you know, I vowed like to see every film that Sylvester Stallone, John Travolta (laughs) and Christopher Reeve ever made. Because, you know, kind of, you know, when you're like 14 and you start going to films and these are the people that became stars at that moment. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Stallone in 1976 and, you know, Travolta was already a name on television and Welcome Back Carter and he'd been in Carrie, but... He really became like a huge movie star in 77. And then Christopher Reeve with Superman, which I think was also 77, right? And then, of course, it was a joke because, you know, I vowed to see every film they ever made because I like them so much. And then, of course, the first few films after this come out and you think, forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, and so this film was a real sociological phenomenon. I mean, I think Mm. the, the success of it. So... I was talking to a friend about Creed, right? Who, which was also a big hit. It made over a hundred million, but it's incomparable to Rocky, right? You know, because I think Rocky made, I think it was a hundred and seventy-four million or a hundred and fifty-four million or something. But this was a, you know, this was in the mid seventies, right? Mm-hmm. Where you know a big success was like twenty million or mm. yeah, things like that, right? So, so this was like a runaway kind of success, right? The figure on Wikipedia has the global box office of 225 million and it also notes in brackets that's equivalent to just over a billion in yeah. today's money. It was it was the number one film of the year at the box office in the US for 1976 and it also made, you know, the charts in 1977 because the film was released I think in December or something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the run extended into into 77 so I mean I saw it's not reliable because I saw the variety (laughs) chart which uh, mentions it at number one and then you know there was I think the theater owner chart or and another one that I got from the internet that lists it as the number two film at the box office in 77 right yeah but if that's true yeah yeah a number one film in 76 and then still like you know a huge box office in 77 it was a real sociological phenomenon the film and i'd never seen it I, the only rocky films i'd seen are rocky balboa and creed i saw rocky balboa at the cinema and i had a really really good time in that uh, and then creed was you know something slightly different because it was this reboot that focused on a different character and a different milieu right it was about this black american obviously race comes up throughout the rocky films well, but the focus is very different i think race is absolutely essential it's it's embedded into all of the films you know some of the stuff seems kind of a struggle to be inclusive yeah of black people and black experience but that nonetheless comes across as white supremacist. (laughs) 
Yeah, like the black guy always gets beaten. Yeah, the, you know, the black guy who is the champion of the world ends up, you know, you end up applauding him because he ends up as a trainer to the champion. Yeah, yeah. like, you know, they're very... Well, the, when the, they don't lose every fight, you know, so at the end of Rocky, spoilers, <laughs> Creed wins on a split decision, but Rocky has won the Hearts of America, he's lasted the distance, which is what he wanted. Yeah. And actually, right at the end, when the decision is announced, Creed's win is announced... It happens in the background. You almost can't hear it because it's all about Rocky finding Adrian and kissing her. It's a very unusual film because, you see, people say it's a boxing film. And in a way, it's not. Or if it is, it doesn't follow the genre conventions. You know, because boxing films are all about masculinity, which this one is as well. But they're also about a critique of capitalism yeah, mm. and the American dream. Like, you know, uh, there's always gangsters and the fight is fixed and, you know, the working class guy has to give up his body yeah, to mm. win and then he gets seduced by the city so there's always a bad girl. Yeah, there's always the home girl who he loves but then there's the bad girl who seduces him into this capitalist way of life. This film has none of that. No, very little of it. I think it, ha- it hints towards the aspects of having to sell your body but it's not really... He doesn't suffer physically yeah. right, the way he you would in a, another film. I think the the opening shot of the film, right, which in a way is so crude, really, you know, but it tells you what the film's going to be about. So there's this image of Christ, you know, in the resurrection, yeah, the host. Mm. And then the camera pans and you see these men fighting, yeah. And I think for me the film is about that. You know, it's about it's about resurrection. Yeah, it's about kind of you know, a man kind of being given a second chance and being redeemed by love, right? Like the accent, you know, so so you're, you do see 10 minutes of fighting, <laughs> right? Yeah, but what he's fighting for is, Adrian, I love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so winning the fight is a means to this declaration of love, yeah? yeah. Mm. And it's actually Adrian who redeems him. It's not the fight itself. Yeah, this is not about beating the system or... No. Yeah, it's not, it's not about money. It's not even about success, right? Like, you know, I mean, he doesn't want to enter the fight. He doesn't want the rematch at the end, yeah? Mm. It is really about him finding himself, yeah, through his... Yeah, through the belief of Adrian, really, and of his love for Adrian. So, really, it is a love story, aside, you know, much more than the typical boxing film allows, let's say. Mm. It's also about what he says uh, when he's in bed with Adrian and he's kind of worrying and he's talking about the fight coming up. He says it's not about winning, it's about going the distance. Which yes. is something that comes up in a few other films, particularly Rocky Balboa, it comes up in that because he's so old and the whole point is can he fight this young champion? Yes. Um, and can he prove it to himself? It's a theme that doesn't feel... It feels like if it was better integrated, it would come up earlier in the film. I kind of believe that's what he believes at that point, but it's interesting that maybe it's just a failure in some sense that it only comes up at that point, this idea that actually how will the fight go and what I want out of the fight specifically. Yes. I mean, I think for me, um, you know, what's because it's not a good film. By, by any definition, it's not, you know? I mean, I think uh, Stallone said he wrote it in three and a half days, and the joke among screenwriters in Hollywood was, well, I could have written that in two and a half, right? Like, it's so crap, right? Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, he's not a genius because he wrote it in three and a half. I mean, he wrote it in three and a half because it's pretty crappy, right? Mm. So 
And, you know, it is a film that's made up of bits and bobs of other films. Yeah, you see on the waterfront, yeah, mm. I could have been a contender. There's actually even almost lines that come out of that. An enforcer in the docks, yeah? Yeah, and yeah. they say bum a lot. A lot, yeah. <laughs> Instead of a bum, which is what I am. Yeah, so so you can see kind of clear references to that and, you know, to, to other films. So it's kind of a bit of a mess. And really, I think visually... It's very poorly directed. I mean, I pointed you. There's a scene in the corridor in uh, Adrian's flat with Polly, you know, and you can see that it's staged for the actors, but it's not staged for the camera, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's so sloppy in in many ways. Um, But Pauline Kael in her review says, well, if the film might have been any better, it might have been worse. (laughs) Like, yeah, there's something about the awkwardnesses, a little bit of the derivativeness, yeah, the fact that, you know, it's not slick, yeah, that actually makes it work. And, and what I'm interested in is actually what makes it work, because when I saw it recently, much less this time, but I think that's just, you know, because I've got Rocky and... On the brain. On the brain. But the first time I was deeply moved, you know, like, mm. kind of, it really touched me, yeah, kind of emotionally, mm-hmm. like the ending sequence, it was like I kind of, I welled up and... There were moments in the film that kind of, you know, got me emotional. Um, And I think, you know, they all have to do with the good-heartedness of the film, yeah, the Mm -hmm. sincerity of it, yeah, the kind of... I saw an interview with Stallone, and he was saying, you know, because the film was nominated for an Academy Award, and the other films were Taxi Driver, All the President's Men, Bound for Glory, and Network. And he was saying that they were all, or all the films of that era, maybe not Bound for Glory, actually, um, but, you know, they were all cynical, yeah, and and critical, and kind mm. of, you know, it was all that was wrong with America. And Whereas his film was upbeat and innocent, yeah, mm-hmm. and, you know, that there is redemption is possible, that there are second opportunities, that, you know, the American dream is there, even if only through a freak accident, yeah. Mm. I also wonder to what extent it's Stallone himself, yeah? You were mentioning on Facebook, because as you were watching these films, yes. you were making comments and so on, and there was a conversation happening all week. And one of the things I thought was very interesting was the idea that Stallone is like immune to irony in a way that other stars of the 80s are not. And they always comment on themselves, or they comment on the films they're making. And throughout the Rocky films... They are completely sincere. Yes. There's not a note of irony in any of them. And actually, towards the end of the series, or the more, more recent entries in the series, that really gives them a lot of power. And I think it gives this one a lot of power as well. Actually, you know, one of the interesting things, Andy Medhurst made a very good point on Facebook where he was saying, Arnold Schwarzenegger is loved by the Chatterati, he says, <laughs> because the films are ironic, right? Whereas S- Stallone has kept faith with his pro proletarian roots right and that you know uh, certain kinds of irony are only available to middle class people and above and I was thinking actually how true that is yeah because you know you need a lot of cultural capital to be ironic yeah you know you need to know the structure of things to be able to play with them yeah Mm. yeah and and actually you need to have a large vocabulary to play language games and to deflect something and Mm. yeah so uh, there is something about about that, which I think is very interesting. That has to do with the film's sincerity and also with the film kind of being unashamed about, you know, the way that it talks about intelligence and says, oh, I'm dumb or, 
you know, mm. kind of my dad said, work with my body because you don't have much brains. You know, it doesn't say it as a personal fault, right? So I, you being stupid, yeah, which normally has this connotation of you being lazy, you being uneducated, but like it's something, it's somehow your fault, mm. right? Well, actually, kind of the film has an attitude, well, you know, some people are born intelligent and some people are not, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, kind of, and there's nothing wrong with, yeah, mm-hmm. not being born intelligent. You know, some people are beautiful and some people have great bodies and some people are rich and some people, you know, are intelligent and some people are not rich or intelligent. Yeah, it's yeah. just, that's just the card you've been dealt with, right? So, you know, there's no self-pity or, or, or a derogatory uh, uh, perspective on it. It's just that's the card you've been dealt with and then you've got to work with it, right? Mm. You know, so um, I think kind of that was also to me very interesting, yeah. Yeah, I'm very endearing. I'm very endearing. You can see why the film made Stallone a star, and it did, right? Like, you know, the year after he was number one box off, um, number one uh, uh, ranked star, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, in the Quigley list. And this is also why these films are so interesting, because if you look at the film stars of the early 1970s, it's Robert Redford, Paul Newman, Warren Beatty, yeah, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, you move from the mid seventies on, yeah, and you begin to get Pacino and De Niro and mm-hmm. you know Stallone and Travolta. There's the whole Italian, <laughs> yeah. yeah, gang that kind of begins. Well, Pacino a bit earlier. So actually, it reinflects this idea of America. America now encompasses ethnicity in a way that it still doesn't do with race. Yeah, that, mm. and Stallone is a part of that. So he's working class. He's ethnic. He's not bright. But actually, the thing is, I think, A, he's incredibly beautiful in this in a way that it almost like I'd forgotten or it never registered, right? You know, because he's always been very fit and so on. But there's something about the way he's filmed here, you know, with that kind of alabaster skin with the rosy edges and, you know, those wonky, like, Picasso eyes and those incredible eyelashes, right? Like, he's kind of beautiful, in a very manly way that is, you know, that was new, yeah, kind of, it's a new type of person in cinema that uh, that uh, that he, he, he represents. And he's incredibly good, right? He's giving a performance. Like, I was noticing with you, just, you know, the way that he moves and the way that he trains, you know, he's got, like, his shoulders hunched and, you know, he does this wobbly walk. It's a performance that he's given in a way that he's not, that he... I, I mean, actually, I don't think he ever, he ever gave again, right? Mm. Where, you know, what he does in the other films is he presents his star persona, right? But he doesn't work at presenting a person, no. right? And he presents his body. Yeah, and he presents his body in a way that, again, you know, one of the surprising things here is that the body is not put on display. No. Right? Like, when well, he's uh, training, he's got a T-shirt on. That's right. You don't really, well, me see that maybe a bit later on, but he's showing off his torso an awful lot more in the later films. Yeah. And when he wants to make an impression with his body on Adrian in the scene in the flat where, you know, he takes his jumper off and he puts his hands right, <laughs> to show off his pecs. He's still wearing, a, um, I forget what you call them. Undershirt? Yeah, it's a, you know, one of those... Uh, a vest? A vest, yes. Uh, I think the, uh, the American slang was a wife beater. <laughs> I think we have a bit of that over here. Well, wife beater is also a um, stellar artois mm. in these parts. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. But he's, yeah. he's showing off his arms, but he's not like, you imagine that in Rocky Four, he'd be topless and covered in oil. rippling abs or exactly. whatever, right? Pulsating veins. 
I mean, this he's he's wearing a T-shirt and he's just like showing, yeah, mm-hmm. his arm. So I think all of that uh, is very different. And, and also, you were saying he looks more like a boxer. So we were saying in the last films he looks like a bodybuilder. Yes. And actually, boxers don't look like that. They look like they do here. They're muscly and they're toned, but they've got some chunk to them. Yes. Right. They're not like they they tend not to have ripped bodies. I want to read uh, you a little bit uh, of Pauline Kael's review. So this is on on Stallone. So there's a bullneck energy in him, smouldering. He has a field of force like Brando's, and he knows how to use his overripe cartoon sensuality. (laughs) The eyelids at half-mast, the sad brown eyes, and twisted, hurt mouth. Victor Mature also had this thick sensuality, but the movies used them as if it were a simple, plushy handsomeness, and so he became ridiculous until he learned too late to act. Stallone is aware that we see him as a Hulk, and he plays against this comically and tenderly. In his deep caveman's voice, he gives the most surprising, sharp, fresh shadings to his lines. He's at his funniest trying to explain to his boss why he didn't break somebody... um, Somebody's fingers. Yeah. And he's funny talking to his turtles. He pulls the whiskers of the film's cliché situations so that we're constantly charmed by him, waiting for what he'll say next. He's like a child who never ceases to amaze us. <laughs> uh, Stallone has the gift of direct communication with the audience. What separates Stallone from a Brando is that everything Stallone does has one purpose, to make you like him. Yeah. He may not know how good he could be if he'd stop snuggling into your heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thoughts? Well, that, that definitely came up. Um, I don't know if that came again on Facebook or something like that, but it's definitely occurring to me. Throughout the entire series, he wants you to like him, yeah. always. He's he, There's not even a question of him being any kind of antagonist. I, d- I don't know many... I've seen very few Stallone films, really. But I don't know how often he ever really was an antagonist in cinema. Um, well, the Rambo films, I suppose he's meant to be an outsider and so on. But, you know, hmm. he still wants you to find reasons to love him. Yeah, Absolutely. And it suddenly comes across here when you were saying earlier about about the kind of new um, uh, form of masculinity he's presenting on screen. You know, you, you're describing rosy cheeks, alabaster skin, long eyelashes. It's a feminine masculinity. There's a feminine aspect to the way he looks. Yes, there is something about Stallone's hulkiness. Yeah, you know, because Kale talks about how you know he looks repulsive one moment, you know, and really beautiful the next. I don't. He doesn't look repulsive to me at any point. But you can see what she means in a way, yeah? That, you know, he's not there like like Burt Lancaster in his early films where he just looks like a god, right? Mm. Like, you know, he's chunky and he's got a weird face. And, yeah, so mm. I think there are moments where, to me, he looks very beautiful. But, but also, he's almost very unabashedly ethnic macho, yeah? Mm-hmm. You know, in his, his way of speaking, his way of talking. I really love um, the silences, yeah? Or the way that he sometimes doesn't react, yeah. That kind of he's not over eager, mm. yeah. He's somebody who's got confidence, yeah. Who doesn't need to please, mm. yeah. So he'll react to things, yeah. But he's got a stillness, yeah. Uh, mm. So I think all of that is is what really what made this film, I think, and what made him as a as a big star. There's a huge element of like softening the Hulk aspect to him. Everything around that is softening it. Um, and it occurs to me very early on watching the film as well that uh, him being an animal lover 
Yes. The big part of that. He loves animals. He gets on with them. He, you know, he's walking down the street after his first fight and he says hello to the cats in the window. He says hello to the dog. He's got the turtles. He says hello to the birds in the cage. Mm. Every time he sees an animal, he can't keep away from it. I remember reading the Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine used to do films all the time, right? And, you know, the bigger the films, the more often they do them. Mm. And there were... there. The film has absolutely instantly recognizable... They're they're not set pieces in our modern understanding of what a a set piece in a film is, but um, scenes that have become iconic, let's say, Mm -hmm. you know, that were so recognizable that, you know, audiences found so endearing, yeah, that they occupy like a separate place, yeah, in an imaginary. So, you know, the scene of skating, Mm. Yeah, which is a courtship scene, and it's really lovely, right? Because, you know, kind of she's skating, but very poorly. They're not meant to be there. Mm. Yeah, he's trying to win her over. He's running on the ice. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of, uh, it's where they reveal that they're almost like two halves of the, you know, of the same. They fill uh, each other's gaps. Yes. Which is a lovely idea. Yeah, and for it to take place, yeah, like in the skating room context, which is, you know, on Thanksgiving Day, yeah. It's a scene that, you know, if you just show uh, an image from it, a certain generation will instantly attach mm. an emotion to that, right? Mm. Um, so that's one. The thing with the turtles is another. Uh, the pet shop is another. Mm-hmm. You know, the running up the steps, you know, to the museum mm-hmm. is another, like iconic, right? Punching the dead cow. Yeah, the punching the dead cow. Iconic image, mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, kind of, you know, the end with, like, the yelling of the Adrian, right? Like, mm. you know, so I, he just finished a boxing match, but his first thought is on his woman, on the woman he loves, right? Mm. You know, I mean, that's an incredible amount of moments <laughs> for a film to carry generations later and to, mm. you know, for them to be still be recognizable in those ways. And, and by recognizable, I don't just mean iconic in the sense, you know, that there's an image that everybody recognizes, but, but that actually there's a feeling that everybody attaches to that image, you mm. know. Um, so that makes for very powerful cinema, even though it may not quite be good. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, if we think about the filmmaking, there must be good moments. Right? You're talking about, well, you mentioned the, uh, the ropes, in the boxing ring at the end being red. And you yes. said this is the most most dazzling, most exciting visual thing in the entire film. <laughs> yes, it's true. And, I mean, you mean that as, like, as a negative, because, like, there's nothing else. But, yes. Um, well, that whole thing is meant to be a bicentennial thing. The setup is, you know, red, white, and blue, mm-hmm. which makes it also, if you think about it, to um, a step further, awful, <laughs> right? You know, because it is about America, you know, and what it's... I mean, one of the things that it could be saying about America is you know, the white men are under threat by black men who've got to be beaten. Could be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's certainly, you know, there. But I was thinking more just that those red uh, bars on the ring add a vibrancy, yeah, that the film is lacking. So, again, you know, credit to Pauline Kell. She says this is one of those films, and I think by implication one of those stupid films, where, you know, to signify kind of poverty, you've got to make everything look brown and dark and dreary, mm. right? This film has that. It's, yeah. He's right. Yeah. But I think it also gives it a really great sense of place. You know, I think you feel like you know Philadelphia 
and this one you actually know where he hangs out and you know when he's running uh, and uh, it's a training montage isn't it before the fight and he's running and eventually gets up the steps and celebrates but there are shots of him running through streets coated in litter and trash it's, it's very much um, I mean actually my response to it was it's the east coast of North America and I recognise that as a place it's a place I grew up I think oh don't be stupid I mean Montreal it's like you know the architecture of Montreal is all these winding staircases outside the houses so in a way it's nothing like that mm. But actually, it, yeah, so obviously it's not Montreal, but it is East Coast North America. You know, the type of brick houses and those corner shops and, yeah, it's kind of... And junkyards and, and train yards and all these kind of blue-collar yeah. areas, the train bridges in the background. There's always a train going by somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It very much has a sense of place, yeah. Mm. So this is from Lester Grindon's book on boxing. And he says, uh, the film highlights... Uh, the initial uh, bout with a contrast between the divine and the human, the soul and the body. Yeah, this is the first mm. opening shot. Uh, and suggests a principal theme of the boxing genre, the boxer's transformation. Yeah? But in Rocky, the conflict between body and soul is renegotiated as the common man realizes his spiritual uh, destiny through a renewed faith in his physical ability. What do you think about that? Something that the Rocky films... Maybe it's saying that boxing films almost always make me ask is, is why you fight. There's always some question raised in them about why do I fight? Yes. And how fighters fight or whatever. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's it, it's answered as I have to sell my body for money. Mm. Um, here it's not. It's something that I feel alienated by in almost every boxing film somehow. Like, that that just that sense of I do this because I have to. Or something like that. Um the idea of Rocky being, what's that, renewing his belief in his own body or something? What did yeah. you say? Um, in his own physical ability. Hmm. Does he, does he ever, I mean, does he, well, does it seem like he's lost his faith in himself at any point? Yes. He's an enforcer for the mob, a low, mm. yeah, low-grade enforcer. Yeah, he collects money for the mob, you know, for very uh, low-down gangsters. You know, he's doing it as a hobby, He's, he's reaching 30, right? He's lost his locker, so he's on his way out, really, you know? Um, so, yeah, and actually, I think, it's, I think it's Adrian, you know, who gives him the faith and, yeah, that it's something he can do, yeah. Yeah, that may be the case, but it, it, the character strikes me from the beginning as someone who's confident. Like, he's already pursuing Adrian from the start, and, you know, he doesn't like that his locker's been, uh, been taken away from him, but um, it didn't seem to signify that he was on his way out exactly to me. He's always confident. And and then when, when the fight comes up and he's, he speaks to Creed's manager um, and he turns it down, you know, he's not confident that he'll win. He thinks it would make like a laughing stock of, I guess. But that doesn't speak to like a low confidence to me. Like That's quite a reasonable sort of worry. Well, <laughs> let me put it another way. Uh, he comes across as very uh, self-assured as a, as a man, yeah? You know, that, I mean, he knows who he is. He knows he's strong and powerful and can maybe mm. beat anybody who, you know, who goes up against him. So he's, he's got that kind of self-confidence. But I don't think he's got the kind of confidence that says he could have been a contender. He actually doesn't see himself as a contender. The whole thing is, a, you know, mm. uh, uh, is a surprise. It's a chance. It's luck. It's thrown on his lap, right? Yeah. Um, so and he does have a line where he tells the Burgess Meredith character 
you know, where were you when I needed you 10 years ago? And the other guy says, well, why mm. didn't you ask, right? And part of the character is that he's somebody who other people thought he could have been somebody. Yeah, that he could have mm. been a really great boxer. But actually, he himself never thought about it or pursued it or, yeah, he asked, why didn't you ask, why didn't you ask for help? Yeah. You know? um, so, so I think Adrian gives him the, yeah, mm. the self-belief, really. And in a way, he does it for her. So I think there's something kind of there. I mean, one of the things that I find very endearing about the film, very contrary to contemporary uh, crude uh, moralizing, is, you know, so on the one hand, you could say, oh, the film has heart in a very simple-minded way, yeah. But actually, I think the film's heart, in quotation marks, extends across the film, right? So, you know, Rocky isn't judged because he works for the mob, yeah. The mob boss is, a, is really nice and gives him $500 to train with with no strings, yeah. Um, mm. uh, Polly is a drunk, Right. And, you know, that's okay. Yeah, that's part of, you know, mm. being human. And, you know, uh, 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 so, I mean, it's not that, you know, the film isn't aware of the perils of that or the danger or the self-destruction about that, you know, but it accepts it as part of being human. That's the way Polly is. Yeah, he's got his own burdens to carry. Right. And so you understand everybody's reasons in a way, you know, that now, oh, you know, he's an alcoholic, he should, you know, <laughs> go on a 12-step program, right? Or he should fix it, or everything is fixable. Well, actually, kind of this just accepts it, you know, kind of people, people, people have to make do, you know, people have to get on with life in the best way that they can. And, you know, people have different choices, right? And some people don't have many choices at all. So, yeah, I think mm. that's also the way that the film, to me, has heart. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't make you... It doesn't say, oh, you filthy gangster, or, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. You get the feeling they're not being gangsters for fun. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, so I like that very much, but I forget where, what you were asking. I feel I've lost... I don't know. ...thread. Um, mm. Well, let me ask... I do, so it's just it's something that doesn't connect. There's something about the film that doesn't connect with me and kind of... You know, oh, Adrian believes in him, and and I, I I don't feel I don't actually really feel their relationship. It did kind of make me emotional at the end when after he's won, or not won, after he's finished the fight, he's he's won his personal fight of going the distance. He's looking for her straight away, doesn't care about the result. Um, but I didn't really get their relationship, to be honest. Oh, I did, um, and you know. And I think audiences got it because to me the relationship is central to the success of the film. Mm. Mind you, it's not that I don't have problems with it. I think that the way that the Adrian character is conceptualized, um, I was going to say borders on the offensive. I'm sure actually it doesn't border. I'm sure many women would find it offensive, right? Because, you know, what are her hopes and dreams? And mm -hmm. yeah, like, you know, what made her so shy and so recessive? Mm -hmm. Like kind of the film doesn't give you any of that. It's all focused on him. And the scene where Rocky uh, goes to kiss her, and like it's kind of sensitive, um, but I mean I was I was watching it thinking on her side like she she says I don't really know you very well I'm in your flat you're a much bigger person than I am yes. she basically got me up against a wall in that very claustrophobic shot you know yeah um, and he says you know I want to kiss no you. means no <laughs> um, he says I want to kiss you you don't have to kiss me back it's like but you don't have to, uh, why should I have to kiss you at all yes no I mean I think those things now. 
Well, as you say, it's weird because you can see how sensitive the filmmakers are trying to be about mm -hmm. it, right? They're trying to be very delicate with the whole thing. But actually, you know how, how Me Too it comes across now. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so so there, is, uh, there is definitely um, that. You know, but I think the film in its crude way explains, like they are each other's missing half, mm -hmm. right? Um, so kind of that's what connects them. They found each other. Right, and that's what saves them both, really, you know. Um, so I think you, again, if you examine it too much, it kind of falls apart. But you know, operating on a crude level, that is, that is what the film's about, and that I think is what connected to audiences. That yeah, mm. it kind of fits into this. It's like a, a Cinderella fantasy, really, in a way, right? Mm. For both of them, yeah. Um, but also, from his perspective. You know, there is a kind of a macho, I was going to say masculine, but maybe it's just, you know. But anyway, he knows what he wants. He knows how to need, what he needs. You know, it comes his way and it hasn't come his way before you get the feeling. Yeah. So and he pursues it. Right. And then kind of, you know, she's so important to him that, yeah, he kind mm -hmm. of uh, uh, pursues it. Right, and then they find each other, and it's kind of clear, yeah, how that shifts. Yeah, the moment that they find the, that they fit each other is narratively the turning point in the film. Yeah, mm. so um, and I think it's that aspect that connects rather than the boxing. Yeah, something else that I kind of missed really, even though on paper it's so obvious, is um, it's like what does Rocky want actually? It's kind of fundamental. It's a fundamental thing to ask of, of a character. What do you want? Yes. And obviously he wants Adrian. Um, but out of his boxing, out of his career, and this is, you know, this is like uh, why I always think, you know, this thing about fighters fight and what do they fight for, it often passes me by. Um, I kind of think, what, what does his character want out of his boxing? He seems to be someone who, this is the impression I got, is someone who is basically content with his place in life. Which I think kind of jives with what you were saying, because you were saying other people wanted more for him than he wanted for himself. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's working for this low-level gangster, breaking legs or what have you, or not breaking legs as it happens, um, and he's getting on with his boxing, and this thing falls into his lap. And and I suppose, in a sense, it, it, one of the things that's endearing is that he immediately turns this down because he's like, no, I can't do this. This is too big for me. It's kind of an endearing aspect to the character. Um but I, but I am left wondering why why actually am I interested in this guy because I am interested in the guy and I think it's in the in the way he stumbles around the city just getting on with dogs and cats and people and the way in which he's always got a funny you know comment to make about something or the way he knows himself and that kind of thing like that that's what I think I grab onto with the character but actually I don't grab onto any sense of 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 this guy's. Um, you know, kind of wants and hopes. Uh, well, other well, than Adrian, it's all about Adrian. It's all well. That's what's so interesting, because you see, I think I I think that's the answer to the film because mm. you know the boxing is almost like a decoy. It's yeah, <laughs> you know, the film is in some ways about being a man in America for sure, right? But what this man is feeling, he's unemployed. The situation, the you know, the work situation is terrible. They're living in very considerable poverty, you know, people on the streets, you know, fires, detritus everywhere. He's really lonely. Yeah, he's an orphan, 
right? Yeah? Mm. And you do get an acute sense of loneliness in him. Yeah, like kind of, you know, his apartment's empty. Mm. Yeah, all he does is he goes to, you know, he goes to work and he comes home to a lonely place. He has turtles he talks to, mm. right? So I think you're meant to feel that, you know, this is someone who's really lonely. Yeah, and what he wants is what Adrian represents. And the figure of Adrian is almost like the woman in the Western, you know, that it doesn't matter who she is. She's just a function normally. <laughs> Right, and what she represents is civilization. Yeah, church and schools and home. Mm. Yeah, and kind of you know, um, yeah, the the coming of civilization to the West. I think there's something about the figure of Adrian in this here as well. You know, so what what he wants is her, mm. and and not just her in herself, but also what she represents. Yeah, an end of loneliness. You know, a recreation of the family. Yeah, a building of a future together. And in fact, actually, the, the subsequent films will, yeah. Well, yeah, they turn into a soap opera. They, they, they work on all those themes. So, I, I didn't get a sense for it as, as an end to loneliness. Oh, I did. That, that's what I may be missing. Like, I, I never got a sense of this guy being lonely. I got a sense that he wants to hang out with Adrian because he likes her and she's there. Um, and it will be fun, but not as, like, you complete me. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I know. I said that thing. He says, "Oh, we fill each other's gaps," but still, I got that very much. You complete me. Actually, that moment where he rejects her because, you know, uh, um, he's in the sofa and he's just, you know, come from jogging, I think, and he feels all beaten up and you know, and he's abstaining <laughs> because he's training, and the moment where she goes into the bedroom and then she comes out and he wraps his blanket over her. You really got the sense of these are, you know, two people who understand each other and who are one. That was a visual moment, one of the rare ones in the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I get it like once they're together, but before they're together, um, that's not a feeling that I get that this guy exists in a state of loneliness. Even, oh, though, even though on paper, it's all there, as you yeah. say, you know, the uh, empty apartment. Well, I think you see that. It's not a feeling that I get. To me, that's what they have in common. Yeah, because she's shy and recessive, you know, and can't express herself and, you know, can't talk to people, you know, and she's obviously very lonely, even though she lives with her brother. Whereas, you know, he knows the whole neighborhood by name. Yeah, he chats to everybody. Yeah, but then he comes home alone and he's very lonely. Yeah, kind of. I mean, he's talking to turtles. <laughs> so, so I got, yeah, that's what I got out of it. Um, it's too outgoing <laughs> well um, yeah I, actually I never I never felt that either I don't see him as being outgoing actually um, I see him as someone who's at ease in his milieu right so you know if you grow up in a neighborhood you know people by name mm. yeah in, in that kind of urban setting but actually it doesn't necessarily mean that you're you know that you are um, outgoing yeah it's kind of I don't know it's, it's like me in my village you just know everybody you say hi but actually it doesn't you know mm-hmm. um, yeah and and if you see him talking to interviewers or yeah kind of talking to receptionists and you see all the awkwardnesses right he can't speak he has no confidence in that exchange mm-hmm. right and that really comes across in all the interviews yeah. yeah but I think that's because he's out of his depth there it's a new world to him well, that is also true, you know, that it's, he's out of his depth and it's a new world. But actually, you know, to be outgoing means that you have all these social skills, you know, to at least try to do that. And I think and the character makes it clear that 
those are not his social skills. Mm. And actually, even, you know, the, for example, the exchanges with the driver who keeps insulting him, and, yeah, and the only way that he has to react is almost through physical force, right? Mm. I, he's not verbally dexterous. No. But also, that guy does deserve a punch in the face. No, that's true. I mean, well, it struck I me early on that, um, as it's been mentioned in, during the week on Facebook, um, Creed is a Muhammad Ali figure. Mm. But the difference that really struck me between Creed and Rocky was how you almost never see Creed training. Creed's always in his office. He's wearing a lovely suit. He's, he's a businessman. He's wealthy. He's, exactly. He's a businessman. And actually, um, there's that point where um, he's talking to all these various people and there's only one of them just sat in the background watching this interview with Rocky where he's punching the meat. And he says, you know, Apollo, you better come look at this. This guy means business. And he says, I'm all about business. Different kind of business, right? Mm. Like that's obviously this kind of very central difference that the film's building between the two of them. And outside of it being that he's a Muhammad Ali figure and therefore is black, I'm trying to think, would it make as much sense if the character was white? Right? How different would it feel? You know, well, how, in- think- how important is it to that character that he's black? Um, very. I mean, first of all, at the time the film was made, it was like, as you said, it was Muhammad Ali's peak, right? So, the, you know, there's always... I mean, if there hadn't been a black figure in the film, you know, the audience would be saying, are you crazy? Like, kind of, you know, all the, you know, the champions and the buck and the contenders of the last 10 years have all been black and mm-hmm. you're making this white. I mean, there would have been <laughs> a reaction to that, right? Um, so, second of all, there's something interesting about the way that the film tries to manage race, Right. So Apollo Creed says, don't be like me, study, use your brains, yeah? So he becomes like kind of the establishment mm. figure, yeah? Instead of, yeah? So this switches things around, yeah? Apollo Creed lives in the mansion as the establishment figure, study, yeah? Stallone mm-hmm. is from the ghetto. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a white one, yeah? But then also the performative elements that are so Muhammad Ali, right? When he comes kind of dressed as Uncle Sam and he's, <laughs> you know... There is a, I mean, to me, it made me think of the black exploitation films, right? And, you know, all these pimps wearing fur coats. Yeah, there's something kind of, yeah, let out of the box or, you know, a kind of performativity of black masculinity and male power, but one that could only be performed in certain spaces. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of, and in relation to gender. You see that, yeah, when he's coming out into the boxing ring, it's like a circus, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, or a carnival or, yeah. So, so the film would have been very different, I think, had the had the the the, the opponent not been black. Mm. But the fact that it is black is, you know, so the film tries to maneuver through all of these pitfalls, yeah, potential pitfalls. But I think nonetheless they're there, yeah, like mm. kind of, you know, this is about, you know, I mean, imagine how insulting it is to think that a thirty-year over-the-hill boxer can beat the world champ, right? And why? Because he's white. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, if you if you made the film with all black boxers, you have to find other rationales, right? Like, you know, if you made it with white boxers, it would be unbelievable to begin with, or, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, unless, like, um, uh, 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 Raging Bullets in a period setting in the 50s, right, or mm. the 40s, right? 
Um, you know, but in the 70s, like you, you have to have a black boxer somewhere along the line. But then it does become about the white man beating the black man. You know? Yeah, in a manner of speaking. Like, because, you know, he technically wins, I'm yeah. afraid. But the victory in the film is not his. Well, I think that's also a way that, you know, the film so intelligently massages that issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he doesn't win, but he wins. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but nonetheless, it's almost like a little bit like, you know, the criticisms of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, where you have Sidney Poitier, you know, <laughs> who's a Nobel Prize winner and beautiful and gorgeous and, you know, has a fantastic job. And, you know, the parents oppose him, you know, uh, courting uh, this young girl. Why? Because she's white. Because she's got nothing else going for her, right? Like, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, kind of the film sets up these things where, you know, a 30-year-old over-the-hill, untrained, yeah, boxer with very little, like, first-class experience, you know. Yeah. I mean... There's a kind of a racism in that, right? Yeah. So, uh, a residue. One that was not examined, um, and this is the way racial and ethnic politics shift and change over the years, because I think there was such a celebration of the ethnic dimension to this film. Yeah, the fact that it was Stallone, that it was Italian-American, that also felt like an inclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Because even though there'd been Sinatra in the 40s and 50s, a very famous Italian-American, you know, he was like blue eyes and, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of, uh, uh, yeah, when Pacino and Stallone and so on came out, there was like a kind of a recognition of a different type of uh, ethnicity that was nonetheless fully American, yeah. And I think there was such a celebration of Stallone in relation to that, that the, yeah, the mm. racial dimension was a, maybe a bit underanalyzed, though mm. it's very much, yeah, the film bends itself into all kinds of things to manage that. And I think it tries to manage it ethically, but nonetheless, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you really do get a kind of um, a white supremacist feel that you then later get in the other films, you know, because uh, you have montages of Rocky beating this black man, <laughs> black man, and then they throw in a white one just to make sure that you're not reading it as fully racist. <laughs> yeah. At the start of Rocky Three, right when he's become world champion, yeah, and he goes through his history of beating up black men, yeah, <laughs> to become the world champion. Yeah, and you know this is then the series kind of very interestingly takes up and reinflects and so on with the Creed films, yeah, and redresses, and and I suppose that's what we'll talk about in our next podcast. But um, to wrap this up, what, what are the things that kind of struck you most about watching it, just to summarise? What really ultimately struck me most and what kind of um, affected the way I looked at everything was Stallone's persona. Yes. And that thing that we mentioned about how he wants to be liked and he wants to be likeable. And there's not a moment in the film where he isn't, I don't think. You know, to the point where he's tolerant of some fairly bad behaviour from his friend Paulie, for instance, who mm. treats his sister like shit. That's what took me through the whole thing. Like, If the film is about redemption, I also think, in a way, it's about redeeming working-class masculinity, right? Because I think um, one of the things that t- touched me 
is that I thought, well, you know, I grew up with a lot of like sweet galoots like this, right? Like, you know, kind of people not very well educated and a bit rough and, you know, kind of uh, maybe also not that bright, um, but who were good people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and they were very sweet and kind of uh, and had kind of an emotional sensitivity. Yeah, they were vulnerable as well. Yeah, and sweet. Yeah, and kind of, uh, you know, helpful to others. Yeah. Uh, and I think for me, the thing about Rocky is that he's all of that. Yeah. Mm. So on the one hand, you know, he's a killer in the ring or whatever. But actually, he's kind of, you know, a really sweet guy, inarticulate. He's sensitive. There's that scene where he says, you know, well, the eye just didn't touch, it didn't hurt me or whatever. When someone says, and then, you know, when he leaves, he says, it did. Yeah. Mm. I, that he's got feelings as well. Um, so, so, you know, on the one hand, you know, having the strength, but also kind of the sweetness and vulnerability, yeah, kind of, that often I think is something that, that, uh, working class men are denied, yeah, feelings are for, you know, (laughs) middle class people, you know, um, so, so I really love that about the film and it actually really touched me. Mm. So, on that note, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at eavesdropmovies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Yes, uh, we will be returning uh, shortly with a podcast on the series as a whole. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.